Hello, welcome to Better Words. I'm Michelle from the Unfinished Bookshelf. And I'm Caitlin, just a bookish babe. And we both kind of took an intake of breath and went to like start at the at same the time. time. And then both laughed. Yeah. Because so <laughs> we were just like... <gasps> Okay, we're yeah, we it. never, we never go. Okay, you start You've, this yeah, time. Yeah, we never. It's really... just like whoever happens to start talking. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was funny. So we're recording this, like, actually for the first time ever on the morning that we're going to. We are literally coming to you almost live. Yeah, we're about an, hopefully about an hour behind if you listen <laughs> as soon as the episode drops. <laughs> um, because we couldn't record last night, Tuesday night, because we had a gigantic storm in Rocky because it has been disgustingly hot. Like if you imagine what the surface of the sun is like, then imagine like the most humid environment on earth. That's basically what Rockhampton has been like. (laughs) Possibly a slight exaggeration there, Michelle, but But it was was about 37 yesterday, wasn't it? um, I think so. And the day before that, when I got in my car from like – I went. I came home for lunch during my work day. Got in my car. Forty-two degrees. It said in my car. Wow. It was disgusting. Oh, it's been so hot. So the storm was really, really needed. Unfortunately, it meant that we were a bit too scared to use the internet, and I was too scared to drive to Michelle's. Oh, house. it was so intense. Like the lightning on this side of town was so much chain lightning, and the whole house was shaking with the thunder. Oh. Um, so anyway, I what have, have you been up to? I have a bit of a story from Monday night's storm as well. Yes. <laughs> Wait, Monday or Tuesday? I don't Last know. night was Tuesday. Yes, you're right. Monday, Monday. night storm. <laughs> um, so myself and my housemate, my aunt Monica, went to my parents for dinner um, in the sort of late afternoon. Um, I was watching Supergirl. Um, the TV show, which I wanted to talk about, with um, my younger brother. And we had dinner. Oh, no, mom left before dinner. And I just ended up having dinner at my parents because, like, <laughs> Carrie and I were still watching TV. And um, then it started storming. So I was – I didn't drive to my parents' house. I do only live down the street, but I wasn't about to walk home in the middle of a thunderstorm. So <laughs> I just kept watching TV with Harry. <laughs> was that close to having a sleepover at my parents because I it was storming. <laughs> like, and also you're on holidays, so it wouldn't have mattered. Exactly. It wouldn't have mattered. I'm lucky enough to be on holidays this week still. But <laughs> it got to about 10 p.m. last night and there was like – it like stopped and I was like, oh, now's my chance. And I like ran out and I was like, I've got to go home. <laughs> so I just like walked down the street. <laughs> Like, all I'd taken to my parents' house was, like, my phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so, that's my little, I'm hoping oh, I'm abandoned <laughs> down the street. I, like, live around the corner from my parents. It just happened to work to out To be honest, that it's way. not even around the corner. It's literally down the street. Like, it's a different economy. it's a different street, but it's one of those streets where it's, like, only, like, slightly off. off. Yeah. So, it's practically a straight line. Anyway. So, that anyway. was really funny. But... From that story, what I actually wanted to mention, okay, so (laughs) I've probably talked a bit about before how I like these like superhero TV shows and um, I do Marvel movies and DC TV. Don't ask me why. Um, (laughs) There's a post on her blog about it. Yeah. So last Christmas, my younger brother got the first two seasons of The Flash. 
So we watched them together over the holidays. Then I was an unemployed uni graduate. <laughs> um, so we watched the first two seasons of The Flash together. I really, really enjoyed it. So I decided to watch the first four seasons of Arrow because they're on Netflix. Then, um, wait, you know, almost all of this year, my younger brother, well, 2017, <laughs> 2018, <laughs> um, my younger brother and I wanted to continue watching these TV shows. And when the fifth season of Arrow dropped on Netflix. Um, I'm pretty sure Harry just watched it, but I watched the first episode and then the little preview for the second episode had the flash in it because they do crossover episodes between these series. And I took that as a sign and I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to watch them all like in line. So this year on Boxing Day, I went to the shops with my younger brother and I bought the first two seasons of Supergirl and he bought the third season of The Flash and the fifth season of Arrow is on Netflix. So now what we have done is watch the first season of Supergirl. Now we are in line. Now I checked what days these episodes aired. So we have to watch one episode of Supergirl because they are on Mondays in the US, then one episode of The Flash, then one episode of Arrow. Repeat. Oh, my gosh. That's so complicated. I know, but this is how much I really enjoy these TV shows, that I'm willing to do this. Yeah. This incredibly complicated way (laughs) of watching shows. Well, speaking of watching shows, um, my New Year's was pretty quiet because Jack and I were binge-watching a new Netflix series uh, we love and everyone at work is talking about it as well and that is Manhunt Unabomber and I've never even heard of that okay I've heard of the Unabomber because oh, I listened to my favorite murder um they haven't covered the Unabomber that for some reason I thought they had and I may be wrong but when we were watching the tv show I went and looked back through the episode guide online and couldn't see it anywhere but I think there was some theory about him potentially being involved in another really cool but devastating random case um, called the Tylenol poisonings Um, and I think they covered that on my favorite murder so Unabomber like has been in the back of my mind anyway so we saw this show on Netflix and it's going to be one of those shows where they do a different crime every season Oh, like American Crime Story. Yes. Which, awesome. oh, P.S. I'm so I excited. It's coming out soon. Yes. Um, Darren Chris. I'm yes. So excited. It's going to be so good. Um, but, yeah, it, it's so Unabomber stood for University Airline Bomber. Unabomber. Wow. Okay. Um, and for 17 years he sent random parcel bombs to people. Well, they appeared to be random um, to people who mostly were maimed but he ended up killing Um, a couple of people but there were like 23 people injured and I think maybe like six people killed it could be wrong though but the um, tv show goes between the investigation in 1995 and skips forward two years to 1997 when the Unabomber is caught and in prison and they're trying to get him to plead guilty so they don't have to go through a trial Um, and it keeps switching between the two um, and Sam Worthington plays. Ooh. I know. I like Sam <laughs> Worthington plays the um, like the investigator that the show kind of focuses on. Now, sadly, um, I did some research after, and it turns out that character is a really like a composite 
of a lot of different people. It wasn't as simple as like one person in the investigation, if that makes sense. But for the purposes of this TV show, they brought it together to focalise. Oh, they kind of combined different people. Yeah, they combined different people to to bring it so that for narrative purposes, you have one good guy that you follow and a bad guy that you follow. But um, in terms of the bad guy, so Ted Kaczynski, um, and again, not prepared for this episode. What a shocker. <laughs> um, I'm just going to look up. So Sam Worthington plays the lead investigator. Sorry, he's not the lead investigator. He's an investigator who is meant to be a minor member of the team, but through narrative yeah, becomes the one, the one that you follow. Um, and... Oh, that, so the, and then the guy who plays Ted Kaczynski, who is the Unabomber, is Paul Bettany, and he is incredible. I like you just totally believe that he is this. See, that's the thing about the Unabomber too. Like I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but he, at first the investigators were like, he's this like low um, IQ, possibly this guy, blah, 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 like airline mechanic. That's why he targets airlines. But what they find out is he's actually incredibly smart. Mm. Like he did a PhD and he's incredibly smart. And the thread of the movie is about how they use this term that they come up with called forensic linguistics. They analyze because he was one of those weird people. Um, I say weird. I mean like weird serial killers who then like sent letters to all the newspapers. So he would send the bombs and then he would send like all these letters. So they had all these documents from him um, and they went through and analysed and it was amazing. They could, they could pick out, they could be like, he uses this style and, you know, the Chicago newspaper used it between these years. So he must have grown up near Chicago reading this newspaper and he formats his um, manifesto like this, which is like uh, an old style way of formatting a PhD um, thesis. So he must have got a PhD between X year and Y year. And through that, they narrowed down the profile. And then they ended up publishing the manifesto. And his brother recognized it as being very similar wording to a letter that he got sent um, wow. by the Unabomber, his brother. Um, Ooh, shoulder cracked. <laughs> I don't know if that came across on the recording. Um, so he recognised the writing and contacted the police and was like, um, I have a feeling that my brother, who's like a recluse wow. living in the woods in, uh, I want to say maybe Montana, but like I don't know if that's just, like one of those northern states that nearly like borders Canada. Yeah. He's just like a recluse living in a little tiny, teeny tiny cabin in the woods with like no electricity, no running water. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then Netflix, obviously, having put this on and having this new Netflix original series. On. They also added some old documentaries about the Unabomber, which oh. we were like, okay, we're going to watch it because we were like, I've got a TV hangover. Like I can't, I can't get into anything else because I want to keep watching it. Yeah. Um, and so we watched this documentary from 1996, which is before he was found guilty, um, which yeah. as with, I, I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast, but I've told you as with making a murderer shocks me 
that in America you can report all this stuff before it's even finished. Yeah, in Australia that would be contempt of court. You could not do it. Anyway, we watched this documentary and they showed footage of the real arrest and right down to where the rips were on his jeans, Netflix has got it like perfect. Wow. It's so good. So really I actually think you may even enjoy it. And it's eight episodes and we watched four episodes each night. And I came home from work on, so unfortunately I had to work on New Year's Eve and I came home and I was like, mm, you know, I'm like really tired. I don't know whether I really want to go see the fireworks because we had like a little markets and fireworks thing on the riverbank. And he was like, oh, thank goodness, because I just want to keep watching Unabomber. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, oh, we just good. like literally watched Unabomber until midnight. And it well, kind of like your perfect up. new year. It was perfect. Start the year with some murder. That's great. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it was it was excellent. And I'm sure you can cut little bits in that. <laughs> oh um, man. That show sounds so interesting. It is so good. Yeah. And also I finally, finally finished a book that I've been reading since I started it um, when I was in London. And it's, I don't know if I'll do a review yet, so I'll do like a little mini, like just tell you about it because it's very, very good, but I just don't know whether I have the words to kind of talk about it on my blog um, without maybe like reading it again. Like it was a lot to take in and it's called How to Stop Time by Matt Haig, which I think has like the movie rights have already been sold. And I think, I think, um, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be playing the main guy, which having read it suits, like, I think that'll be good. But basically it's this guy and he was born in like the, like 1300s or something like that, or maybe like a bit later. But basically he has this condition where he ages, but he ages incredibly slowly. Mm -hmm. So he's like 400 years old. And it's simply just because, like, he ages at a much slower rate. And so the book kind of skips between his past and his life. Like, he knew Shakespeare and he met, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald and, like, all these things. So he, it goes through his life. I love life. when time travel things like that do. Yeah, bring like in that. the past. Like being friends with Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. So um, his, that brings in the past and um, his kind of future. But it's very much like a look at how we as humans sit within like the wider history of the world. So it's very yeah. hard to describe because it's beautifully written. I really enjoyed it, but it was one of those books you can't, I couldn't rush it because I wanted to savour it. And I just don't know how to describe it to other people, but definitely yeah. recommend it. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, no, I have heard only good things. Yeah, so it's it's beautiful. Sounds like it would probably make an interesting movie if the movie rights have been sold. Yes, as long yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Hopefully, they put like a lot of effort into it and make it really mm. good um, with all the like flashbacks and stuff. It'd be interesting to see how that comes across because there are like I feel like five maybe six different time periods that it goes between so it'd be interesting to see how that kind of translates yeah mm, anyway, anyway that's my updates awesome <laughs> so you know they have it talking about this at we are now at 7 30 a.m on wednesday 
And actually, it's funny that the last thing that we talk about should be time travel because our episode today and our lovely guest is talking a lot about traveling. Yep. Traveling this world, traveling in this time, but travel nonetheless. So we really hope you enjoy what we've got coming up for you. Stick around. This week, we're joined by someone whose photos and reviews always brighten up our feeds. Blogger, bookstagrammer and booktuber at Babbling Books, our guest is a Melbourne girl and part of the team behind the wonderful Melbourne Writers' Festival. Welcome to Better Words, Tamsin. Hi there. How are you? <laughs> we're good. Thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. It's a pleasure. That's, that just sounded so official. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> My God. Oh, Okay. Um, so I guess the first thing we wanted to talk about is you were very well traveled. I've been lusting over your (laughs) travel Instagram photos of Europe. So pretty. Um, and you visited a lot of different bookstores and stuff during your different travels. Um, so Caitlin and I were curious, um, why did you decide to blog about those travels and create the book lovers guides? Oh, I mean, I don't think I could have travelled while having Babbling Books as it is and not blogged about it, if that makes sense. Um, Babbling Books is such a big part of my life and it's something which grew out of my passion for books, which is very genuine and kind of permeates every little bit of my life. So it wasn't an extra chore or an extra task to um, to blog about, about books while I was travelling. That was actually... Um, you know, something which made my trips even more, um, even more incredible and gave me an opportunity to, um, or perhaps an excuse is a better way of saying it, an excuse to hunt down um, really incredible libraries and bookstores that I might not have gone to otherwise. And also just to meet really amazing people um, that I've connected with through the internet. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think you're right. I think excuse is probably the <laughs> correct term for that. Yeah, I mean, I know I did that. Um, I went to Cuba last November and um, there was a book fair on in Havana when we went there. And like the books were all in Spanish. I cannot read Spanish. I wasn't really planning on buying anything. I just kept walking around and I just looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. And looked. And went back the next day and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked because it was just surrounded by books and it was great. How do you go with um, buying books and travelling with books then, Tamsin? Oh, I'm a disaster. <laughs> don't take my advice. Um, so probably like the biggest trip that I've been on since I, I started um, my bookstagram, which was back in 2015, I think, May 2015, um was six months that I spent in Europe last year and it's oh, amazing <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing I uh, highly recommend quitting a job and uh traveling um but yes yeah, so tempt me after today I could do that, <laughs> <laughs> so that really really tough but I I tried not to buy too many books while I was traveling um and of course I failed miserably I think there's a there's a there's a video on my YouTube channel where I talk through all the different books that I purchased while I was away. And when I finished editing that video and uploaded it, I realized I'd forgotten a couple. So I think in the video, <laughs> I say that I bought 25 books, but I think it was actually 27. So we just wow. had it too much. But the thing that I was lucky in doing was um, 
we met with different family members along the way and kind of caught up with people who were willing to take some of our luggage back home. So I sent books home um, with family members in two different places. Um, I also posted back a bunch of books in a couple of different cities that we went to, things that I was just really attached to. And also when I met up with people, sometimes um, they gave me books as well. So I met with Alia of Winterfell, um, which is her Instagram account, when I was in Slovenia and she gave me a beautiful um, copy of Harry Potter and the, and the Philosopher's Stone in Slovene. So, I mean, of course I'm not going to like let go of that. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Obviously I was very attached. So things like that meant that um, it, for me I felt like I had to and they had sentimental value, so I kept them and, um, and posted them home. I, there were other books that I bought while I was traveling um, that I swapped when I was in um, like youth hostels and places like that and books that I left behind um, in places just because I wasn't particularly attached to that edition or I didn't really like the book very much. Um, or I yeah, just felt like I might have a copy at home. I did also have a Kindle. Um, so mainly the books that I bought were kind of collector's ones rather than um, things that I was planning to read straight away. So, Well, yeah, I think if you're just buying books to read just because they're there and you think that you might like them, that's not really the kind of books you can afford to buy while you're travelling. Yeah, because no, it's definitely, definitely not. I mean, I did pick up a couple. Um, it got close to Christmas and I realised I didn't really have any Christmassy books and I was like, hmm, what can I read about for Christmas? And I was in a big bookstore in Berlin with um, uh, Lottie from Lottie Loves Books, I think is her handle, um, and I was like, I need a book about murder. So I got an Agatha Christie um, kind of Christmassy murder mystery, um, which was great. A Christmassy and, murder mystery. That's yeah. awesome. That sounds like what would be on the top of Michelle's Christmas list. Yes, and I sit here in my my favourite murder fan shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have a side question sort of about um, the Harry Potter edition that you said you were gifted. Have you got like editions of the Harry Potter books in other languages and things like that? Is that something that you've done while you've travelled? I, I do. Um, I have started a little bit of a collection um, on that trip. So I got the idea from another fellow Australian book blogger, Commas and Ampersands, um, who has been collecting them. Yep, we love we her. We love her. <laughs> yeah, so she's got lots. Um, and I when I was traveling um, as a teenager and I guess as a sort of a young adult, I used to collect picture books from different countries that I went to. So I have quite a big collection of um, picture books in lots of different languages. Um, That's such a good idea. Yeah, which is kind of cute. And I love the illustrations from different places and, and they're a lot of fun. But what I found is that kids' picture books are actually quite heavy. Um, and so on, on a long trip, it just wasn't yeah. feasible. So, of course, I replaced that with um, an actual novel, um, which is a terrible idea. Don't don't recommend. Um, but obviously, I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. So I, on that trip, I ended up collecting, I was gifted the one in Slovene um, from Alia. I, I, yeah, I bought, um, so I bought one in Greek, um, one in Romanian, and one in German. That's all I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, I just I think that's really cool. I just because I've already mentioned my travels. Um, <laughs> I've, I, in, I've been overseas once. I last November I went to 
Cuba and Mexico. So in Cuba, I bought a copy of The Old Man in the Sea mm-hmm. because Ernest Hemingway wrote that in Havana um, and he had a house in Havana and everything. But um, the Harry Potter thing, I have no idea where I got this idea from, but I knew that I wanted to do that as well. And I bought a copy of the first Harry Potter book in Mexico City oh, in Spanish. Ah, great. Does yeah. have a different cover? And Michelle's sort of... Yes, it does have a different cover. It's got... um. It's like a slightly cartoony looking cover, um, still illustrated, but um, yeah, it's got Harry flying on it to like catch the golden snitch, I think, like from his flying lesson. Yeah. So it's not like the one in front of, it's not even in front of a train or anything, I don't think. I'm pretty sure he's flying. Now that I'm saying this, I'm like, (laughs) you know what? I think that's wrong. I don't remember. Anyway, Michelle bought a UK edition. Yeah, because I only went to I only went to English speaking places, so I couldn't like I just stayed in the UK. Um, so the best I could do was to get a different cover that I'd never seen before. So I got the hardback version of um, like the like, poppy art. Yeah, pop the pop art, art ones, but they're actually black and white in the hardback version. Um, so at least I have something. Um, but actually, one of this kind of. Caitlin's going to ask this question, but I'm going to jump in and ask it. One of my favourite places to visit in London was Persephone Books. Um, and so, yeah, they print their own, they print um, works by unknown or kind of forgotten female writers of the 20th century and they all have the most amazing grey covers and it's just so cool to be in there. Um, so, anyway, what was your favourite bookshop on your travels? Could you just pick Probably. one? Probably not, but I can give it a shot. I mean, I did love Persephone too. I, I thought it was such a beautiful bookshop and I just mm. love the that idea of, um, I don't know, it's kind of like giving a voice to the women in the past who've kind of been forgotten. Um, and I, I bought, oh, mm. who was the author? It was the author of The Secret Garden. Um, is it Frances um, Hodge, Hodgson? Burnett, I think I've forgotten the yeah something like that yeah that sounds right like horrible um how could you forget that anyway so I I bought um one of her lesser known uh works uh from Persephone which I haven't had a chance to read yet um but favorite bookshop um oh well I mean I feel like I'm a little bit biased because I stayed there and I think that's probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life but in Wales, this is Caitlin just like perked up. She's like, what? I was like, you can. Where did you stay? Tell me all about it. <laughs> so um, through Instagram, which is where I have just made the most amazing friends, I made friends with Anne, who is the owner of Adiman Books in Hay on Wye, which is known as the Book Town. Um, it's in Wales. It's this tiny, tiny little town. Only like a couple hundred people live there, and um, it has thirty-two bookshops um it's amazing Caitlin's jaw just dropped for anyone listening top of my bucket list now how did I never know about this place before the most amazing place and if you want to get a sense of it like go and follow Anne on Instagram um her account's Addyman Books and it's just it's stunning there's um there's a walkthrough of her bookshop so she actually has three bookshops in um in Hay, Addyman Books, which is the original, Addyman Annex, which is um, kind of down the street and has mainly new books. Addyman Books has mainly secondhand. And Murder and Mayhem, which is her crime bookshop, um, which is delightful. And so I stayed there. Uh, she lives in the building um, above the bookshop, and she was kind enough to uh, lend me her son's room. He He's same age as me and, and doesn't live at home anymore. Um, and so I stayed there for three nights, I think, 
living in the bookshop and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, <laughs> and that is so really cool. Different. On YouTube, I have a walkthrough of the whole bookshop um, where I kind of show all the different rooms and, and talk through it as well. And I just, oh, I filmed that after hours and it was just, there's actually something really, really special about that after the shop had closed and all the lights were off, putting on my pyjamas and just in my socks, kind of wandering around and looking at the shelves and not like knowing there's no closing time and I could just pick a book off the shelf and sit down in one of the couches and read it, and which I did. Um, oh and God. it was amazing. If you scroll really far back on Anne's feed, there's actually a photo of me in my pyjamas reading a book in her front room. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's I, I so think, cool. I think Anne's Bookshop has to um, has to take the cake as my favourite. Understandably, that sounds amazing. That sounds I, I'm so sure, incredible. You know, now that you sort of are saying this, I feel like I have seen this, um, like, I don't know, on Instagram or on Facebook or something like that, like um, like where you can, like, stay in a library or something. I have no idea where it is. I'm it sure might someone even, tagged me in that on Facebook the other day. There must be there must there's be a, something. I'm sure I've seen place it. In Tokyo, where you can stay in um, a hotel which kind of has bookshelves, and there's almost like little sleeping pods behind the bookshelves. Um, Maybe that's it. Yeah, I'm off that to Tokyo cool. in a couple of weeks, and I kind of want to go to it. Um, I haven't. Done <laughs> oh my god, you should! But I feel like it's almost compulsory. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. I would love to stay in one of those pod hotels. Like, I don't know. This is one of those weird things about me is that, like, traveling to Japan has not really interested me. I'm more interested in going to, like, Europe and stuff first. This is pretty much just because I haven't been to many places. But the main thing that I would want to do, I think, if I went to Japan would be to stay in one of those weird, like, pod hotels. Like, that sounds cool to me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think I haven't been to the US or anywhere in Europe, so I think somehow I just – if I go there, then I'll, like, be ready to think about other countries. (laughs) Well, if you do decide to go to Japan, please let me know. I absolutely love it there. I've been quite a few times. Um, I can't remember how many. I think I'm at seven so I have so many places that I absolutely adore um, and I'm really excited to be going back. And I think this time will be a kind of a bookish journey um, so that I can go to some places I haven't been to before. I'm, I'm really, really excited. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that's cool. Well, actually, we will be living vicariously yes, through you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, sort of speaking of this trip, I think I saw you post something on Instagram the other day about – you know, what books to take on trips with you. And we've sort of talked about this a bit already about like, you know, traveling with books and buying books while you're traveling. Um, do you have any tips or tricks for tra- a traveling reader? Yeah. As, as you suppose? can probably tell, I'm not very good at giving advice on this subject because I'm pretty bad at it. Like, let's be honest. But um, <laughs> this time uh, or for this trip, I, I actually really like reading books Um, that are set in or by authors from the countries that I'm visiting. That's one of the things that I love to do. Um, Yes. And when I was in Europe, we went to 17 or 18 countries in six months. So it was just a bit too hard to kind of find, um, you know, and to keep up the pace of of one book from each place. So I'm now sort of going back and slowly working through the countries um, that I missed. 
Um, but for Japan, I've, I've planned a couple of books. I'm going to take with me um, Murakami's nonfiction. I think it's nonfiction. Maybe it's creative nonfiction after the quake, um, which is about the um, Kobe earthquake, um, which is very famous and very destructive. And also a kind of classic um, Japanese novel, um, The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea um, by Yukio Mishima. Um, and I've read a couple of Mishima's books before when I've been in Japan and I feel like it really kind of sets the sets the mood and you're always sort of seeing the country through the eyes of someone um, who, who lives there and, and through the language that they use to describe the landscape at the same time as you're actually experiencing it which I love so um, I'm taking those they're both pretty small like I think they're only like less than 200 pages each so I feel like they're not going to take up too much space in my luggage um, but I also always take my Kindle with mm -hmm. me and load that up. And then because I'm a mood reader, realistically, just buy other things in the Kindle store while I'm traveling. Um, and I have a subscription to Audible, so for listening to audiobooks. And I find that really great on like train or bus journeys where you want to be able to look out the window and, and keep looking at the scenery. You don't kind of want to have your nose in a book, um, but you also want to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know. I love, I don't know. I love being on like buses and trains and things like that and just like observing, but you also don't want to be doing nothing. It doesn't feel as productive. <laughs> yeah. And also, especially if they're quite long trips, they can get a bit boring. Um, in Europe, we yeah, had definitely. some like, oh, like 10 or 12 hour train trips and, you know, you just, I would, as a person who's you know, easily distracted and has a very short attention span. I, you know, I'd read chapters of my paperback that I had, and then I'd switch to a book on Kindle, and then I'd listen to an audiobook and pace up and down the carriage, and then I'd, you know, try and annoy my partner and, you know, rearrange my luggage and then repeat, <laughs> eat lots of snacks, um, you know, that that kind of thing. So I think having lots of different formats is really helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Okay. Well, another thing we wanted to talk to you about was Instagram. Now, you already said something about that you started Bookstagram in 2015. Is that right? I think it was May 2015, but now I'm thinking maybe okay. I'm... No, it must be right because I think I'm coming up to three years in May 2018. Yeah. Oh, well, time goes so fast. It does, doesn't <laughs> it? I know. I yeah. was like, yeah. Anyway, I was only thinking about that the other day for I noticed um, I was editing a blog post this afternoon and I noticed that I had 50 published and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I started my blog a year ago. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyone who follows you can obviously see that you have a very, very beautiful Instagram feed. Thank you. How do you think – well, you're welcome. How do you think Bookstagram like has – change how do you how have you changed I don't know the way you, I'm trying to phrase the question properly <laughs> um well firstly how did you get into bookstagram and then secondly how has like your start like bookstagram style you know things changed since you first started yeah, good question okay so I started bookstagram 2015, I was um, working in sustainability. Um, I was working for a not-for-profit organization and I had been spending quite a bit of time like researching and learning about digital marketing. 
um, I was just really interested in it as a kind of um, like learning about marketing and because I was working sort of in that space and, and doing a bit of that work. And the organization I was working for didn't have much of a social media presence. Um, so I didn't get to like test out any of the cool stuff that I was learning. Um, and at the same time, I, for the first time ever, had a colleague who was also really passionate about books. And so we were spending all of our lunch times talking about books and what we were reading and, um, you know, kind of swapping um, book recommendations. And our other colleagues used to always like jokes. It's like, um, <laughs> it's like the Tam and Charlie um, bookish lunchtime. And they're like, you should start a podcast. And I was like, I don't know how to start a podcast. Um, That's okay. Neither did we. <laughs> learning three years later and I didn't start a podcast still but my friend and I still talk about books um but she was part of the bookish community on tumblr um which is called bookla and um so she was the one who introduced me to this idea of um bookish things online um, and she really encouraged me to start my own bookstagram because I wasn't a huge fan of tumblr I've always found it really clunky um, but I had my own personal instagram account where I posted like mainly pictures of cats and pretty architecture and she was like you should start a bookstagram and I was like but what do I do like do I take books pictures of books that's kind of weird I just read them and she was like no no exactly no. what I thought when I first started <laughs> I was like, I don't understand if this, if I'm doing this right. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, I seriously had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so she kind of coached me and she was like, no, no, I think you should, I think you should do this. So, um, in typical Tam fashion, I, um, did a bunch of research and, you know, with, with my friend, we looked up, you know, who were kind of the influential bookstagrammers at the time and what kinds of things were they doing and, and how did this all work? And then I was like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try out all of these things I've been learning about digital marketing and about like building a brand and, you know, having, um, you know, having a consistent voice online. And, and what are these things that, that I have been learning? Can I test them out online? And can I see if they actually work? Like I had this theory that if you engaged with a community in a meaningful way, if you actually cared about that community and you could contribute something positive to it, that you would grow your following because you would actually have something to say that people would be interested in um, and you would be able to give something back um, to, to the people that you connected with. Um, and at that time, sort of around three years ago, there was that kind of school of thought and then there was also the... Um, I guess it's kind of like a more clickbaity approach of like just posting a huge amount of quantity using like heaps and heaps of hashtags and um, basically gaming the system. And they were the kind of the two approaches which were kind of being sold. And I was like, I want to do this one because this sounds nice. And like, I like people and I really care about books. I'm going to try this. Um, and I mean, I guess it kind of worked, um, which makes me really happy. And it's become... And it started out as a little bit of an experiment, but it's in the process of doing that and of trying to do this thing, which I believed might work. I actually had to meaningfully connect with people. That was the whole point of it. Um, and I have made some of the most amazing friends and, you know, I've had because of it, the most amazing opportunities because I did really care about, um, you know, what I was, what I was creating and I've got to talk about lots of really cool books. Um, so that's essentially how I got started. And I think in terms of what's changed, I mean, my photography is a lot better. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> scroll all the way back. I've not deleted any of my photos. Um, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who cares that much about curating a perfect feed. Um, I, I don't plan out my photos really before I, I, I post them. Um, they're in a random order, which is whatever I feel like posting at like 11 o'clock at night when I'm really half asleep. Um, so you can go right back 17th of May, 2015. (laughs) I've just scrolled back while I'm talking to you as my first ever post. Um, Wow, it's, it's still there in all of its awkward glory, um, liked liked by seventy three people, uh, including <laughs> my best friend uh, from kindergarten and my mum. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I definitely I feel like <laughs> photography has um, improved a lot. But in terms of the things that I'm talking about and the books that I'm reading, um, that hasn't actually changed that much because I think as a reader and um, I think. As, as someone I'd had a book blog before as well as a reviewer I was kind of already quite set in I, I know myself I know what I like um, I'm willing to try new things and I do love trying new, new things and challenge my, challenging myself in new ways but um, I don't think that it's significantly changed or I've been significantly influenced by um, kind of trends on Instagram or, or things like that. Uh, I've been very resistant to reading and reviewing things that publishers have sent me, which I haven't chosen um, for a whole host of, of reasons. And I, I think because of that, what I blog about, what I talk about, what I photograph has been very, it's been very true to me um, and has had a very like distinctive um, kind of voice behind it. Um yeah, I'm just I'm just not interested in the latest and the greatest. I think that's really I, admirable. I read whatever makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, that I just I mean, straight up, I find it very admirable that you haven't even deleted any of your first posts. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I know I have done that. Michelle, have you done that? Yes, because when I started this, I was at uni and it was not a book account. So I went back and deleted some of my more like irrelevant posts. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't really deleted anything. Uh, I for a only while. deleted because I started my bookstagram in at the start of 2016 <coughs> and then like lost it like halfway through I just got so busy and I wasn't I don't know I hadn't quite figured out how to do it so I wasn't keeping up with the Instagram account or anything like that and then at the start of this year I started my blog and I just changed the name on my account and everything so I deleted all the previous posts once I'd posted a few because I changed the name of the account and changed what I was doing I mean, I think that I think that's totally fine. Like, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with deleting your pictures. It's just that that's not, like, that's just not me. Mm-hmm. Like, I can totally understand wanting to have that, and I really admire people who can have a consistent aesthetic. Like, some of my favorite accounts, like um, Out of the Bex and um, Nikki in Wonderland, who's changed her account name, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but like these beautiful curated accounts. Polly Loves Books is another example. Like, mm. like I admire that so much and I, you know, I love following those accounts. I love chatting to those people. Um, but that's just not kind of me and I'm very much like what you see is is what you get and <laughs> I'm not, like I'm not self-conscious um, 
of that. And I started this as an experiment and I think it's lovely to see how it's evolved and the things that I did that just really didn't work. And it's kind of nice to see them um, and, you know, to, to show that it's actually about engaging and being part of conversation and just participating. It's not about having the perfect flat lay and, you know, expensive props and, you know, all of those things. Like you don't need any of that. You don't even need a fancy camera. I had this conversation on Twitter yesterday because I have a nice digital camera now, but I reached over 8,000 followers on Instagram just using my phone. And it was like, like a Galaxy S5, which notoriously is not a good camera. Um, <laughs> and and like, I, I think that those Sometimes it can feel like being a part of that community, like there's some gates or barriers um, that you need to jump yeah, over. Definitely. Like, you, know, you need to have expensive props or you need to have the, you know, the latest ARC copies of books before they're even published. Mm. Or, you know, you need fancy hardcovers and, you know, oh, you need to have a special camera or fancy lighting. And, and I just don't think you need any of those things. And that's one of the things that makes me a little bit sad is, you know, to see young bloggers um, and young Instagrammers um, feeling like they're left out or not welcome because they don't have those things. Whereas, you know, some of the most creative and wonderful accounts don't have any of those things and, and don't need them. And um, I think there's so many different ways that you can contribute. I mean, library books and creative ways of taking photos of e-readers and you know, there's all sorts of things um that you can do that don't require any of that um yeah mm. yeah I 100% agree but do you have any tips for people um like us who would like to kind of up their Instagram game a bit and get a few more followers <laughs> not that it's all about the followers but I mean yeah <laughs> so I mean I probably I, I have a, I have a couple of tips I think as much as I've said that like it, it doesn't matter what things you have and what props you have and what, you know, lights and camera and whatever. I do think um, developing a consistent style is really important. I mean, I don't have a perfectly curated and consistent feed. Like you can scroll back through it. It's I take photos wherever I happen to be at the time. And for six months, that was in literally 17 different countries. I didn't take any props with me. I didn't have any stuff to take photos of. It was whatever I could find in an Airbnb or a youth hostel or, you know, out, out in the street. And so, um, you know, a lot of my photos from that time were taken in bookstores. Um, I pre took a lot of photos before I went overseas. Um, so I think having like a consistent something that makes your photos yours. So my feed is very colorful. Um, I really love colorful pictures. And if you saw my house, it's filled with colorful things because, you know, that's appealing to me. And I think, um, you know, having something like that, that people see, um, see you do gives them some sort of comfort and consistency. Um, I also think consistency in terms of posting is really important. I, I think, um, even if you can only post, say it's three times a week, post three times a week on the same days um, and figure out like what times, you know, are going to going to connect with the most people that follow you. Um, if you can post once a day, that's great. I try and post once a day. Um, realistically, I post like five times a week. 
Um, some people post multiple times a day, but I think whatever you choose to do, stick to something that you can be consistent with. Um, even if you're, sometimes you're really busy and then sometimes you have loads of free time. I think it's better to be consistent than to post four times a day when you're on holidays and then like once a week when you're studying, um, Mm. do something which you can maintain, uh, and stick with it. And my best advice, which has been my advice from the very, very beginning is get involved, like comment on other people's um, photos, but comment in a meaningful way. Like don't just comment just for the sake of commenting. That's pointless. Like don't, you know, great photo is really nice because it's really reassuring if you do genuinely love the photo and it's nice to get that feedback, but ask questions and respond to people, participate in book clubs or join challenges um, you know, there's people out there making those amazing reading challenges um, and you know, curating all of these great events and fun things that you can participate in. And like, it sounds really cheesy, but make friends um, in both my professional life and in Bookstagram. I think the most amazing opportunities that I've had and, you know, the biggest things which have grown my account have come out of friendships that I've built with people who I genuinely you know, care about, put my trust in, um, you know, and have in some cases traveled halfway across the world to meet, um, you know, have given me these incredible opportunities or, you know, have boosted me um, because they, because we connect in some way and and we share a similar idea. It's not a competition. Um, I think anything in a digital space, you're not competing for, um, you know, people's attention or people's views. You're actually like the reality is that people who follow you guys might also follow me, and they might follow a whole bunch of my friends mm. as well. And um, and just because they follow me doesn't mean that they will unfollow you. Um, it's actually about if you have a shared interest in these things, then you know more is more is better. Like connect with more like-minded people, or connect with people who challenge you as well. Um, you know, that's that's always really great. Yeah. Oh, uh, you just make it all sound so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about this community. Um, so let's go on to a different topic, which is bullet journaling. <laughs> um, I look at it and think it's so intimidating. <laughs> um, how do you get, how did you get started? Because I am like in love, especially with your travel journal. Uh, speaking as someone who has been home like two months and still hasn't finished their mediocre travel journal, um, how did you get into it? And do you have any tips to make it less scary for people like me who just look at that and think I could never be that creative? <laughs> Definitely. So I have talked about this with quite a lot of people since posting the flip through of my travel journal on YouTube, which has a crazy amount of views. Um, like, I've gone like semi-viral and I have no idea why it had last time I last time it's I had so 35,000 views or something completely insane especially for an account that has like so few subscribers as mine um but yeah it's just yeah just still can't believe it to be honest um so how did I get started so I am not a very good bullet journaler um as in I don't follow really most of the bullet journaling rules um but for my travel journal I 
have, like I'm sure many people have in the past on trips, started travel journals with great intentions, written three or four days of journal entries, and then not written the rest. And I have in my cupboard dozens of (laughs) dreadfully sad travel journals, some with like, you know, like a stuck in photos or like, you know, pamphlets and things like that from things on pages where I intended to go back and fill them in, but I never did. And I was like, oh, my God, okay, I'm going on this big trip. It's going to be for six months. I want to have something tangible to take home with me and to kind of treasure. But how can I do this so that I don't give up after, like, three weeks? Um, and so I mm. – yeah, it's especially for months too. I mean, I've never kept an actual journal for more than like three weeks. I think that's mm. about my limit. Um, I'm not a journaler. I don't regularly journal in my spare time anyway. Um, I've been recommended to do journaling um, by lots of different mentors and, and people in the past, and I've just never been able to stick to it. Um, so anyway, I was like, "What am What am I going to do?" And I'd heard about bullet journaling. I'd watched the um, guy who invented its um, YouTube video about how to bullet journal. And I was like, I kind of like this as a concept. It's, it's free form. I've often felt like one of the reasons my previous travel journals failed is because the structure felt too rigid. And if I fell behind and missed a couple of days, I felt like I had to go back and fill those days in. Otherwise the journal would be a failure in some way um, and that became too much pressure for me um, you know, to, to get it perfect and to get it right and so I like the flexible format of the bullet journal and also this idea that like you can make it however you want it um, that was that was really appealing so I got a moleskin journal and I started um, I set up a few pages which were basically just headings um, of different countries that I wanted to visit. And so I actually started using the journal probably three months or so before I left. Um, And I just started jotting down and making notes of things that I'd screenshot, um, like things that people had mentioned to me. And I started actually using the journal on a pretty regular basis. So probably like once a week or twice a week, I'd go and like I'd jot down two or three more recommendations that I'd received. And I was like actively asking people nearly every day that I met, like, hey, you got any recommendations for Europe? I was that person. I was that annoying. Um, And so it started to fill up, but I also kind of got into the habit of opening up the journal and writing stuff in it. Um, So it wasn't scary. And also, and I think this is the key for me anyway, it wasn't empty. So it wasn't a clean blank page when I started my trip. Um, and I think that helped because I, I don't know if you guys are like this too, but um, whenever I start a new notebook, I'm always terrified to write on the first page. I don't know if that's really weird. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think a lot of people not. would have that. It's I'm not. one of those people that's like, I'll buy a really cute notebook and then I'm like, but I have to use it for something Good. Proper, yeah. like I have exactly. to use it for something exactly. good. And that's why yeah. I bought like just a really basic moleskin journal. It wasn't like, I mean, they're not exactly. This is why I don't buy any Harry Potter journals or anything like that because I'm like, what a waste. Also, this is why I have a box of about seven Beatles notebooks mm. that I don't want to use because mm. I don't yeah. want to muck them up. That's the thing. Like I think you you have to find 
what your way to trick yourself into starting is. And so for me, that was writing that list of countries and starting to put those recommendations in. And then I thought about it, you know, what else would be useful so that I could use the journal every day. So I set up, I knew I was away for six months. I set up these like six monthly double page spreads where I made um, columns on one side where I just put all of the dates of, you know, each month. Um, and I made two columns. One was for like travel stuff. So um, I started using it to write down roughly where I thought we were going to be. Um, and I actually ended up using that structure to help us plan our trip. Um, we planned a lot of it as we went. We only planned like the first three weeks or so of the six months. Um, and we just made it up as we went along. And so having that was really helpful because I could figure out, like I could just glance at it and go, oh, I think we're meant to be in Croatia by next week. So um, how are we going to do that? Um you know, this is how many days I've got left. And then the second column I used to track babbling books. So I would write down whatever I'd posted each day. Um, so the left-hand column, which was like destinations, I would do mostly in advance. So I'd pre-plan like where we're going to next. And the right-hand column, which was babbling books, I'd fill in like maybe once a week. I'd go back and check all my previous posts and, um, you know, kind of write them down. Um and then I made the second page of that spread to like monthly to-do lists. What do I need to do? What reviews do I need to write? Because I tried to keep up with my reviews while I was traveling, which was like pretty hard. Um, and I kind of didn't do it most of the time. Um, just like, you know, other random to-do list um, type things like file a police report when I lost my phone. Um, <laughs> and like just maintaining um, those kinds of things. But then the actual journal bit, right, which is the interesting bit, I didn't do the kind of traditional bullet journal, like daily spreads or weekly spreads with all their detail and, and things like that. I just wrote what I felt like writing for the quantity that I felt like writing about each place. So I took the um, journaling supplies that I took with me was um, a pair of nail scissors, which I, <laughs> yep, pair of, what? Tiny, because tiny need to, pair of nails, like, be able to which cut I also used things. multitasking to cut my nails. Um, and a roll of double-sided hmm. tape to stick stuff in because glue makes your pages go all manky um, and also spill or leak in your bag, whereas double-sided tape mm -hmm. can't. And a pen, a plain black ballpoint pen. And that's all my journaling supplies. I didn't take, you know, any fancy highlighters or nothing literally just a plain black ballpoint pen from I think I bought it at 7-eleven like it's really tragic I'm I'm a very bad journaler um but like I think by keeping it so small it, it took the pressure off for me um I think if I'd had too many fancy supplies I would have felt too pressured for it to be nice but because I only had a ballpoint pen I'm like well look I mean realistically if I can just write something down I've done okay. Um, yeah, definitely. You didn't have the pressure of like 10 <laughs> different colors of felt tip pens or anything. Michelle, Sorry. Michelle's <laughs> dog has just like appeared at the door. and we were just He's looking. not allowed upstairs. <laughs> and he was just staring at us with his little funny pug eyes. Um, oh god! So what were we up to? Just admiring your journaling skills? Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying that. Like, I, I feel like having such limited supplies really just made things easier for me. Took the pressure off, made me not worry so much about it, making it perfect, and also 
like the limitation of time um, and luggage weight. So when I was in each place, I would collect up, you know, kind of tickets and brochures and, you know, maps. And I, like I did kind of make an effort to seek out, um, you know, things that looked cool from places that I went to. Um, but as we left each place or if we stayed there for, you know, more than maybe a week or 10 days, I try and do it in the middle. Um, but mostly it was on a train or a bus as we were leaving a country. I'd get out all of the brochures and stuff that I'd collected and I would cut them down into the bits that I actually liked. So I'd cut it all up and I would chuck out the rest because I just could not carry any stuff uh, while we were traveling. And I'd start to stick them in and I'd, you know, arrange, arrange a page. And while I was going through that process of cutting out little bits of paper, I'd kind of think about what I wanted to write. Like what were the most memorable things from the place that I'd just been to and, you know, what was I thinking and feeling? Um, and I would usually end up sticking everything in and then drafting, like kind of writing in mostly usually at the same time but sometimes I would just stick everything in and leave a page or two pages and then I would come back and write it maybe a few days or a week later and I didn't stress too much about that process about whether or not I wrote the sections in order um, and I didn't pressure myself to write every single day so I basically ended up writing one double page spread sometimes two or three for each country that we went to um, and sometimes for each city. Um, and I definitely didn't write a daily like to-do list. It's more if you like pause or like look at any of the things that I've written um, in the YouTube video, you can kind of see that it's definitely my impressions, my feelings, my my thoughts or whatever I was, I was thinking about when I was in that particular place. Um, the highlights, the lowlights, um, that that kind of thing. Not we went to this place and this place and this place. Um, and there were definitely lots of things that never got written about um, and hopefully I'll remember. Um, but, I, yeah, I think that process worked for me and the structure or lack of structure in a bullet journal just allowed me to take the pressure off feeling like I needed to write every single thing down. Um, yeah. So. I think that's probably where I went wrong in that, like, I took some tape with me, but not double sided. Mm -hmm. um, and I would stick postcards and stuff in, but I didn't have any scissors or anything. Um, and I think I very much just went for the, like, I'm just going to do, like, write every little detail of everything I did because because it was my first trip overseas as well. I'm like, I didn't want to forget anything. And um, I kind of wrote it kind of thinking that my partner would read it because I went over by myself um, and he actually bought me this really nice journal and then like before I left wrote this really nice message in Aww. it and stuff um, yeah so that was really it was really really cute and so I kind of wrote it thinking like that he could read it as well when I was back like it was for me but also thinking that you know what would I want to tell someone and I did kind of go into like the extreme detail of like everything I did um I think partly because it was my first trip too and I was so much like I just am still like oh my gosh I don't want to forget anything at all because it was so amazing and um but like for example when I went to Liverpool um just our trip to see like the two-hour part of our day I've I've spent like 
four or five pages on detailing like every little bit because I would put in like I've written all the things that we learned on our little tours and stuff like that, all the things that I remembered. And then there are other times I'm just like, yeah, I walked up this street and it was cool um, and I haven't got into mm-hmm. as much detail. Um, so I've kind of, yeah, but I've definitely like written heaps. I mean, it was a really thick book and I've probably written in half of it already. Um, so I like really went into detail with everything. And I think maybe next time will be different um, because we're going to go um, together uh, and so it might be might be a bit more like of the highlights, but um, yeah, I don't know. I like the I like the idea of just taking such limited supplies though, and just kind of doing it as you go. Because yeah, scissors were definitely something that was missing from my yeah, supplies. Would, my, my mantra has been for a very long time: done is better than perfect. Um, as someone who has a tendency mm. towards perfectionism in many things and who's worked really, really hard to <laughs> let go of that, um, that, that done is better than perfect mantra has, um, yeah, it's something that I try and train into the different, um, processes and, and things that I'm, that I'm deciding to do. Um, bookstagram is definitely one of those things cause there's no such thing as a perfect photo. Um, but journaling, it spills over into that mm. as well. I think that's definitely true. I'm definitely still on the learning curve of, you know, not everything has to be perfect. Still very much on that learning curve. But actually for me, even writing in that journal and, you know, crossing out a few things and I did a few little drawings of things that I saw and stuff, even that for me was a huge step because I never would have done that before without it being perfect. So I'm proud of myself for just recording stuff and I'll work on yeah, feeling better about it later. That you've done that and then you've taken the opportunity to kind of reflect on it and think about what you would do differently next time. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I got to the journal that I ended up with. And I'm in the process of thinking about mm. and drafting the structure for my travel journal for my trip to Japan, which is coming up very rapidly. I think I leave in just over a week <laughs> um, and you know, that, that's different again. This is a much shorter trip. It's only three weeks. And I'm starting to think about, you know, what am I going to do differently? Um, you know, what's what's this going to look like and how's that going to, um, yeah, how's that going to fit into the things that I've got planned? And it's fun. I like it. Um, and I'm looking forward to the creative challenge of it and also to hopefully finishing something and having something lovely to look back on Um when I get home and now that I've done one I know that I can do it yeah 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 definitely this one will just be better (laughs) this conversation is really making me want to go back and reread my travel journal (laughs) Um, I definitely recommend it I've written some really weird stuff in mine my entry about um, Zagreb in Croatia is pretty much about like the systematic oppression of women throughout history um as like kind of an example of like witchcraft and witch burnings that happened there it's like I just I don't know I just went off on a tangent and it's very (laughs) serious to read but I was just like obviously really worked up about it when I was on a bus um (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I had some big, like, some big tales from the free walking tour I did of Edinburgh, um, and I included a lot of the things that he told us. I, like, retold them because I was just like, this is so good. Like, this is what I would want to tell someone, and I don't want to forget it. So um, I have a couple of, like, good stories in there, and she just went on for, like, pages and pages and pages. And then I was like, yeah, then I went back to my room, and that was it for Edinburgh. (laughs) And it was just, like, all this walking tour. It it just took up the whole day. Um, Actually... Speaking of taking up the whole time, um, my last question was going to be about the Melbourne Writers Festival, but I feel like that could be another episode in itself. So we may have to have you on again um, a little bit closer to next year's Melbourne Writers Festival if you're still involved with them um, because we have got more than enough to keep people entertained for this episode. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, mean, we'll just have to have you back. What a shame. Yeah, I know. This is... Yeah, <laughs> it's just a good excuse to have you back. Uh, I, would, I would be delighted. The festival is not until the 24th of August um, next year, so yeah. you've got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time for us to plan our trip to Melbourne. Exactly. Ha, 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 oh, kidding. my gosh. Yes, please come. It would be so much oh. fun. I would love to, but it depends whether we're got, like whether my partner and I end up going on our trip in June. Totally, that'd be so cool. It'd be awesome if only. Yeah, if only. If only I wasn't using all my leave on overseas travel. Well, that's alright. <laughs> hey, for the weekend, um, it goes over two weekends. So um, actually, that would be good. I do get weekends, and most of, uh, the, yeah. most of the program is on on the weekends. There's hardly anything um, during the week. There's usually like a couple of events in the evenings um during the week but the, all the best programming is across the weekends so uh, oh yeah so be good we should definitely um, <laughs> yeah. and if you're um, episode, um the program will be launched and so i'd actually be able to talk about who's coming to the festival like specifically oh, that'd be great. like alluding to them um should be mid-july yeah um Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have we'll you back for that. We'll probably do that yeah. then. Yeah. yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so to wrap this up, Tams, and where can people find you if they want to follow you? And, of course, they would want to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm across quite a few channels. If you want links to all of them, my website is babblingbooks.com.au, uh, but I'm mainly on Instagram as at babblingbooks. I'm on Twitter as babbling underscore books underscore and I am also on YouTube as at babbling books as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, everyone should also be following us at Better Words Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our website is betterwordspodcast.com and you can sign up for our newsletter there. Please leave us a rating and review and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.